right. Well, good morning, everybody. Morning. Again, happy Father's Day. Let's start off with a prayer, okay? Let's bow our heads. Father, today we specifically pray for the fathers that you've given each one of us. We pray that you will continue to use these men to lead their families, to be good examples of what it means to be a Christian father. We pray for strength, protection, wisdom, and discernment to help them through whatever trials they may be facing. Grant them patience, a kind heart, and a love for charity that they may be living examples of the love of Jesus Christ. And Father, above all, grant each one of them great faith in you. For it is because of you and your Son that we have hope and salvation. We thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to be studying John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, pull those out. If you have your phone or iPad, that's cool too. John chapter 9. And we're going to start off at verse, uh, verse 1. And right now, the first part, we only want to focus on the first four words of verse 1. And that's going to be on the screen behind me. And it says, as he went along. Now, it seems rather innocuous, right? non-threatening. But I can assure you, a lot more is going on than that. At the very end of chapter 8, which is the verse before what we're going to talk about today, there was a discussion that Jesus was having with the religious authorities. And a lot of times, those didn't go too well. Right? A lot of times the religious authorities, they got upset. And in this particular case, they got so angry, they all reached down and they grabbed rocks and they were prepared to stone Jesus to death. And what that means, literally, is they were going to throw rocks at him until he was dead. And so what happened is the story goes that Jesus, he got away and he was safe. And then we go right into chapter 9 where it tells us he was walking along. So almost immediately, he goes right back to where he was doing before. Right? What's interesting about the idea from the text is that it, it means he was going along just like before. He wasn't scared off. He wasn't flabbergasted. He wasn't shy. He didn't diminish what he was doing. He didn't lay low. I mean, if that was me, I'd be like this. You know, I'd wear a mustache. Something, right? He didn't do any of that. What I like to, the way I kind of think of it is he has a total disregard for the danger that was going on around him. He kept on just like before, right? Most normal people would skip town, Lay low for a little while, let the heat kind of dissipate. He didn't do any of that. He was right back where he was. He was calm, cool, and collected. He was the Messiah. He came here for a very specific purpose, and nothing was going to change that until he had accomplished what he was sent for. The rest of the verse, chapter 1 and 2, tells us that the disciples and Jesus, they were walking along. As they're walking along, they see something, and they stop. And this is what it says. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. So they saw a blind man on the side of the road. He was probably begging for food, money, that kind of thing. And also, it, we don't know if they have, had known that he was blind, like they've known him for decades, or if he was, when he was begging, he was telling people that he was blind his whole life, right? To get a little more sympathy, maybe a little more money, we don't know. But either way, they didn't stop because he was blind. They stopped because the disciples ask a question. Did he cause this or his parents cause it? See, that's an interesting point. They didn't stop and say, hey, how can we help him? Do you want us to try to fix this? You want us to give it a go? Or are you going to do it? That's not what happened. They stopped. And we don't know. Here's the other thing. The text doesn't tell us if they had this discussion like right in front of him or if they pulled away a little bit like, hey, psst, psst, psst. We don't know. What we know 
is that at the moment, this man was inconsequential. They were simply wanting to know what he did that was bad enough to make him be born blind or what his parents did that was bad enough, right? And their question comes from an idea, basically what people do, they call karma. You know, you do stuff bad enough, it's going to come back around at some point, right? And that's what that is. And it exists today to a point um, that God ultimately punishes people like that. But that's not actually true. Um, God doesn't work that way. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, this is what it says. Jesus said this. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, I want everybody to listen up and look at me for a moment because we're going to be brutally honest. And I'm going to start because I'm up here and I got the microphone, right? I'm going to admit, growing up, as I was studying the Bible, growing in my faith, when I, in my faith, when I read this, I didn't like this verse. Most of the stuff, almost everything in the Bible was like, yay, awesome. This is one of those that I'm like, I know people. I know people. I don't think it's fair that they get the same blessings I get. I don't think that's right. Anybody here at some point, can you kind of relate to that? You're in church, remind me. Let's be honest, it's okay. We're not saying God's wrong. What we're saying is we don't have a good, we're not always good at looking at our own sin. We're really good at looking at others, Right? And so the problem is Jesus actually said this. And what this means, because Jesus said this, it means illness, disabilities, bad things, tragic events can't be attributed to God. Now the other side, um, I can tell you, I worked in the ER for a number of years in the trauma center. I was a critical care director. I flew in the helicopter. I can tell you, things happen to good people, to bad people, and everybody in between. Heart attacks, bad diagnosis, strokes, really bad car accidents, and some people die young. And it has nothing to do if their friends perceive that they're good or bad or anything like that. Life happens. Here's the other thing. Read through the entire Bible. Study it really well. Test me on this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that everybody here, look around, everybody here is going to grow really old and die wealthy. It doesn't tell you that, does it? In fact, if you really study, yeah, darn Sorry. But you're here in church for a reason. We're going to tell you what the Bible says. What the Bible actually says, though, and Jesus is very specific, if you believe in me, you're going to have difficulty in life. If you believe in me, believe it or not, there are some people that will treat you worse because you believe in me. That's what he tells us. So when the disciples asked Jesus, if this man who was born blind, was it because of his sin or his parents sinned, Jesus has a really good answer. It's in verse 3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. Now, this does not mean that God at one point says, you know what, this guy, I'm going to make him be born blind so that in a couple decades I can then fix it and make myself look good. That's not what he means. What it means is that God is going to use the natural things that happen in this world, good and bad, to show his glory, to show that he's there for us, that he can overcome all things, that he can be there for us. Now, the next thing Jesus says, it really starts to focus in on him and his followers. And what I mean by that is a lot of, this, a lot of the stuff that Jesus says, the statements, really are big, beautiful statements you can broadcast out there, like John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, you guys know the rest of it, whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's beautiful, right? People hear that, and they're like, yes, that's awesome. This next statement from Jesus is much more serious. It's directed at him and his followers. This is what he says. It's verses 4 and 5. As, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming 
when no one can work. Well, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. What this means is that what Jesus is about to do, when he's about to heal this blind man, it's going to happen on the Sabbath. It's going to bring a lot of heat. He's, what he's going to do is cause so much trouble for the religious authorities, his, it's going to hasten his death. And as long as he's here on the earth, he is here to shine brightly. But a time is going to come when he's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. And what happens to his disciples during that time? They run and go and hide. They hide behind locked doors. So for a time, it will get dark. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. The story goes that Jesus, he then spit on the ground. He spit enough times to create mud. And then he takes that mud and rubs it in the man's eyes. Now, we've, again, we've all heard this story, right? And probably all know how it works out. And when we, the, the more times we hear stuff like this and we know the ending, a lot of times it takes on this kind of, what I like to call like a romantical, fantastical aura about it. Like, oh, that sounds wonderful. Can you imagine if you were there? Remember, the people there didn't know what was happening. They didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus spit. <laughs> and I'm not really spitting, but I'm trying to make a noise. He did, I wouldn't do that in church, but he did enough to create mud. And people were standing around watching this. And then he picks it up and put it in the guy's face on his eyes. Now, what do you think people's reaction were? They're like, oh, do me next. <laughs> do you really think that was like what's going on? Or do you think they were like, what is going on? That's gross. I mean, think about it. It spit is spit. He rubbed it in his eyes. Nobody had any idea what was about to happen. I mean, the disciples were probably like, what is going on? Nothing like this had happened before. And yet that's what he did. Let's read that now, verses six and seven. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and he put it on his eyes. And then he said, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And that, the word Siloam means sent. So the man went, washed, and came home seeing. So when he was finished, what he means, he went to wash in this pool of Siloam. Now the pool of Siloam was actually built uh, about 800 BC, so about 800 years before by King Hezekiah. Uh, Jerusalem is not a city with a lot of water. And so there's a spring outside the city and King Hezekiah had some of his workers. They basically just carved out a trench and it brought water under the city wall into the city. And then once it was there, they carved out more rock and created an area basically big enough to bathe in, and that's what was going on. Jesus sent him there to wash. Now, this is where I think the story gets interesting. This blind man let Jesus, well, let him, he spit into the dirt, made mud, rubbed it in his eyes. And then Jesus said, go and wash. And he did. He didn't question it. He, didn't, he, he wasn't fixed yet. He was just a blind dude with mud in his face. I know it sounds funny, but that's exactly what it was. But he did without question. Why would he do that? He trusted Jesus. Something was different about him. Jesus spoke with authority. And then the man went home with his vision. And he told his family, and can you imagine when he walked in? I can see you. I know what you look like now, mom and dad. And can you imagine what that was like? That would have been awesome. 
And so as he begins to tell this story, this is what happened. This, this, this man, he spit on the ground, rubbed at my eyes, and now I can see. And they're like, wait, what? What? He tells it again and again. But as he begins to tell that, there's people that not everybody believes them. Like, there's no way. There's no, there was somebody else. You have a look, it did not happen. And people have a funny way of reacting to miracles. When you actually read the Bible, a lot of times you think everybody's going like, yay, this is fantastic, you know. But a lot of people, some people were like, wait, what? There's no way. There's no way. They kind of stayed in the middle. And then there's other people. There's another third. Uh, uh, the first group was like, yeah, that's awesome. Second group, I have doubts. I don't believe it. The third group was like, absolutely not. Totally faked, 100%. I don't believe it. I'm never going to believe this is, this is, nope, not happening. And what, what's going to happen next is we're going to see there's people that do all three of those. So the story goes. The man goes home. Tells his family everything's going great. Everybody's loving it, right? Then the religious authorities get wind of this. And it says they brought him before him, for, the, for them. So they were home. And this is part I'm going to embellish a little bit because it doesn't tell us. But they're home celebrating and they were heard at the door. Whoops. They hauled him out of his house and took him before the religious court. Who did this to you? What happened? I don't believe. Tell us what happened. And he says, this man, Jesus, just like I told my family, spit in the mud, spit in the dirt, made mud, rubbed it in my eyes, I washed, and now I can see. And they say, we don't believe you. What happened? He keeps telling the same thing over and over. This is what happened. Now, believe it or not, the religious authorities, when they hear this, they can't they can't decide. They don't on what actually happened. The story actually divides them. Let's read that. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, meaning Jesus, is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Jesus did this on the Sabbath. But others says, how, how can a sinner perform signs like this? So they were divided. The point is, they couldn't figure out what happened. They just didn't believe him. And the main reason was they had such a rigid belief on what happened on the Sabbath. You couldn't... You, Anything you did on the Sabbath, you, you can't do it. You can't work. It doesn't matter if you cure cancer. You cure cancer, it's a sin. You're not from God. That's how strongly they felt. But there's people in the group that said, yeah, 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 yeah. But it still happened. He's right here. How can he do that if he's not from God? How can we say that? But see, humans are really finicky. They're really funny. There's a lot of hubris. There's a lot of ego. We have a ten Some people have a tendency to hold fast to an idea even if there's clear evidence to show that it's wrong. And the more ritual you throw into it, the more uh, elevation, the more uh, fancy clothes and hierarchy, boy, they are not going to budge. And that's exactly what happens. That's what we're seeing here. You literally, on the one hand, you have a, blind, a guy who was blind. He can see. He can see everybody. And over here, you have the religious authorities going, yeah, but it happened on the Sabbath. And they can't decide what happened. They were so dug in, they weren't going to move. And then verse 17 says, then they turned again to the blind man. What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man says, well, he was a prophet. So when I read this, I kind of think, remember, the, you ever seen those... Uh, police shows where they get a, a suspect and they put him in a closed room and they turn the lights on him and they're like, <sighs> interrogation. That's what this would have been like. Can you imagine the man, born blind, poor, hungry his whole life. One day, let's say it's a Tuesday, 10 a.m., Jesus cures him. Whew, awesome. 
goes home, celebrates with his family. Get, now he gets hauled in before the religious authorities. He's getting interrogated. And even though he's telling them exactly what happened, they don't like it. They keep, this is not a good, started out great. It's not going well. And no matter what he tells them, they don't want to hear it. And the man says, well, he, he's a prophet. Now, why the man doesn't get it exactly right about Jesus, he's on the right track. He knows there's something special about him. So now that the religious leaders, this is where it gets even more sad, they don't get the answers they want, they turn to his parents. So I imagine somebody went back to his house where his parents are still like, wow, I can't believe he can see. He's, he can see. And now they get hauled before this religious authorities. Verse 18 to 23 says, they still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. They said, is this your son, they asked. Is this the one that was born blind? How is it now that he can see? And their answer is really interesting. They want to admit he's the son, but they, want to, don't, want to, they don't want to be too much on his side. They say, well, we, he knows our, we know he's our son, they answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age. We're not touching that with a 10-foot pole. And why did they say this? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So this is sad. They've already decided. Did anybody, anybody remotely admits that Jesus is a good guy? They're out. They'd be kicked out publicly. Now, that may not sound like as, nowadays as bad as it actually was back then. For a Jew, especially back then, being Jewish was their national identity, but also their religious identity. They were intertwined. You didn't mix the two. Like now as Americans, we have all kinds of Americans, like melting pot. We, have all, we identify in different ways. There was one way in the city of Jerusalem. You were a Jew. And there was one temple, the synagogue. That was it. And if the religious authorities didn't like what you said, they would kick you out. You were no longer allowed in the temple anymore. Remember, how did they atone for their sins? They had to go to the temple, offer prayers. They had to bring sacrifices, right? Not anymore. Your only way to God was through that one temple, and they were doing what? Removing that. They were kicking you out. So the story goes that the religious leaders, they again, they turn to this man who was once blind and they say, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. So they're saying, say Jesus is a sinner. Say it. And how he responds is beautiful, simple. Number verse 25. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, go ahead and finish it, is blind and what? That's one of the best statements about Jesus from a human in the New Testament. And it's really hard to beat that because it's so beautiful, it's so simple, and it's impossible to refute. He, I don't know why, how he did it. And it actually relates to us today. Let me explain. Uh, this man was born blind. Now, back uh, today, we have disability. We have all kinds of services available. Back then, you had nothing. If you were born blind, that was it. He couldn't have a job. There was no education for him. He had no religious training. And here's where it gets really cool, really special. He couldn't pick out Jesus from a lineup beforehand. 
right? He was blind. This man walks up to him. He couldn't tell you if Jesus was nine feet tall or three feet tall. He couldn't tell you if Jesus was white, black, had a mustache, goatee, or had a really cool flower shirt on. Was he wearing cowboy boots? I don't know. What could he say? I was blind, and now I see. He did it. Our paths crossed. I didn't deserve it. I don't know how he did it. I don't know why he did it. I can't pay him back. I simply can see now because of him. And that answer relates very much to us today, especially when our world meshes with faith and science. And we're going to get deep here for a moment, so everybody put your boots on. Can anybody here, and I mean this seriously, can you take the story of creation and perfectly meld that with the theory of evolution? So everybody's comfortable and answers all the questions. No? Why not? Can anybody here perfectly describe heaven and where, is it, where it's at? Why not? See, the, when you take your faith and you start going out into the world and really talk to people, specifically people who are atheists who believe other things, that's okay, you're going to get those questions. And if you don't have an answer, you don't have an answer. This is where what, G, where what the blind man says makes sense. This is how I answer. Before I became a Christian, I didn't have hope. I didn't know what was going to happen to me when I died. I had sin. I wasn't that happy. After I came to believe, I asked for forgiveness for my sins. I am saved. I have joy. I have purpose. At my job, I've had lots of opportunities to advance and go on. We live in a different city. I turned them down so I could remain a pastor. And I love what I do. I am happy. That's what happened. Before I was blind, now I see, and I don't ever want to go back. And what's interesting, when you really get into like the creation and the evolution story, you go back to uh, the, the book of Genesis and do this later for me. Read the story of creation. You're going to see it's like two pages. right? It's really, really shockingly short. My son is 13, and he has a math book. Seventh grade math book. It's like 150 pages. 150 pages for seventh grade math. God, when he gave us the story of creation, he didn't try to tell us how he did it. He didn't even try. He just said, this is what I did. That's it. And even if he did, we could never understand the math, the chemistry, the physics, and whatever subject is in there. We would never get it. And never in a million years. And, this, this, is, and this, this is why. This is why it matters so much. If he explained the how, and we truly understood the how, we don't need faith. We don't. We don't need faith. We don't need him. And this, 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 this surprises some people. We weren't created to know the how. That was never the intention. God simply created us and then gave us the option to either seek him out or not. He didn't give us special knowledge to sweeten the deal. He certainly didn't promise wealth and fame to sweeten the deal, did he? He actually said the opposite. If you really, per if you really come to believe in me, the world may persecute you. You may have a worse time if you come to believe in me. He put us here on this earth. He gave us his word, the prophets, the Jesus, and the disciples to guide us. And when we come to believe, and we really come to believe, our experience should be very similar to the blind man. You know, I was blind, but now I see. I can tell you about me. 
Now, unfortunately, in our story, the religious leaders, they're not done with that blind man, the formerly blind man. They're not getting the answers they want, so they keep on peppering him. They keep on drilling on him. They ask him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? We don't believe you. The man actually says, I already told you. I've told you this. Why do you keep asking? Why do we keep going over this? Then the religious leaders, they start to hurl insults at him. They make it personal. Like remember, think of those cop shows where they're in the interrogation room, they got the lights on them. Now the cops are in their face pointing their fingers at him. And this poor guy who used to be blind, he finally has had enough, he's fed up, he lays the whole situation out there perfectly. He does a really nice job. Unfortunately, it doesn't go well for him with the Pharisees because he makes them more mad. But this is what he says in verses 30 to 33. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So what's so beautiful about this is we have this uneducated blind man, no religious training. He would have been an outcast from society. He just met Jesus, what, a couple hours ago? He does a better job of summing up Jesus Christ and God's relation with us than a whole panel of religious authorities. He's nailed it. He says, listen, if you want God to answer your your prayers, don't go out and do a whole bunch of evil and not repent. If you want God to answer your prayers, seek him out. Do his will. He will answer your prayers. Look at this man, Jesus. He did it. Regardless, no matter what you think, he cured me. He has to be from God. Jesus was the real deal. And how do you think they took it? The religious authorities. Think it went well? Totally did. No, I'm joking. It didn't go well at all. They kicked him out. They took a man who had been blind his whole life, just got his vision back. They would have grabbed him or they had the guards grab him, walk him to the front of the temple and do what? What a great day he's having. Right? But again, think about that. Think about how sad, how this is actually, this is kind of the definition of evil. Back then, again, the temple was the only source, the only way to get to to God. Like in this country, we have a lot of different Christian denominations. Lutheran churches, Methodist, all Baptist, whatever, there's lots of them. In Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, guess how many there were? That was it. And he got publicly kicked out, thrown out by their guards. They were taking away the one path to God from him. And everybody saw it. This was horrible. And they, they, they did it simply because he wouldn't say that Jesus sinned. He kept saying, this is what he did for me. Now, what's interesting is Jesus hears about this. The story goes that Jesus, then he goes and he seeks this man. He finds this man who used to be blind. And when he comes face to face with him, they have a really cool discussion. Jesus asked him a question. And we need to ask ourselves this as well. It's in 35 to 38. Jesus says, do you believe in the son of man? He says, well, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus says, the one you now see. In fact, he's speaking to you. It's me, he said. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And then he worshiped him. So the, the man publicly admitted that Jesus was 
his Messiah. He believed him, and then he worshiped him. This is why this story is in the Bible. This is the point of Jesus coming to this earth. That's to change lives. Yes, this man received his vision, and that is awesome. Let's all go, yay, right? Fantastic. But you can have great 2020 vision and be lost and go to hell. You know that, right? What mattered most was that he came to believe. Remember, his own people, his own religious authorities, kicked him out of the temple, and he did nothing wrong. He wouldn't deny, he couldn't deny the truth that Jesus was sent by God. And now this formerly blind man, he's come to the faith, he's been saved by Jesus, and Jesus, as he's talking, they're talking together, Jesus takes this concept of blindness and applies it to the spiritual realm. And we're also going to see that the religious authorities probably were following Jesus, because we're going to see they jump into this conversation too. It's verses 39 to 41. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and that those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees were with him, heard him say this, and says, Wait, what? Are we blind too? And Jesus says, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. So what Jesus is getting at is here is our point, our role is to admit that we're sinners. To admit that we're blind, that we have sin, that we need God's help. It's a choice. It really is. But that choice is going to separate this world. To be spiritually blind, in this case, is to admit, again, that you have sin, that you are sinful, you need a Savior. Blindness prevents you from moving around, going around on your own, so you lean on God. And that spiritual blindness and then belief in Jesus Christ is what allows you to see. And conversely, Jesus says the Pharisees were the exact opposite. They were thinking, they were telling everybody that they're perfect. They have perfect vision. They're great. He says, because you think that, you are completely blind. But Jesus came into this world for the sole purpose of showing us our sins so then he could save us, so our sins could be washed away. That's why he sought out sinners. That's why he sought out the lost. That's why he sought out this one man, to save him. And his forgiveness, his salvation is available to all people, back then and today. It's totally free. And here's what's great about it. We don't have to be able to explain in deep terms what it means to be saved. You don't, have to, you don't have to be able to explain evolution, heaven, creation, all of that. The explanation this, gave, this man gave was the best one. I was blind and now I see. This is how I was before I was saved. This is how I am now. This is what I can attest to. This is what I believe. So no matter where you are in your faith, no matter what you have done, no matter how smart or unsmart or have biblical knowledge you have, it doesn't matter. Jesus can be there for you. He can save you. You have hope. So this morning, if anyone here has not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've not turned your life over to him, there's no better time than now. There's no better day than today. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be sinless. You don't deserve this. None of us do. But Jesus came for each one of us that we could be saved. So if you'd like to give your life over to Jesus, then all you have to do is, when we say this prayer in a minute, say the words I say quietly to yourself. To get, what you say is between you and God. But you do have to make a choice. No one can do that for you. Let's pray together. Father, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you raised him from the dead. 
Today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and to guide my steps for the rest of my life. And Father, today I also ask for strength in tough times. I ask for faith to trust in you when I can't see the road ahead. I want to trust and I want to lean on you above all things. I thank you for this life that I have. I thank you for the church. And most of all, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to save me. In his name, I ask all these things. Amen. Amen.